You are listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. This is a podcast about maternal mental health. Disclaimer, we are not professionals. We are moms who've experienced this ourselves and want to share our stories and stop the stigma. Heads up, some content may be triggering. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and more. Hey everybody, this is Leslie and I am here with Chelsea. Hi. Hey. She's so awesome. She came to my house to record and I am just so glad. Hey, so. there's no kids. Well, my kids aren't here. So. <laughs> yeah. Mine might bust in at any minute, but that's all right. <laughs> um, so tell us about your journey of becoming a mom. So I had my first son in February of 2014. Um, we lived in California at the time. My husband was active duty military. So growing up in Utah, it was different. Um, I had went away to school in California, so I was used to being away from home. But then being away from home and starting a family was a whole new ballgame. It, oh, yeah. it was crazy. Um, my mom came and stayed with us for a month, and that was amazing. But then she left, and it was just us for seven months. And so it was crazy. It was scary, and it was very hard. And was uh, your husband like home he was home uh the time he was doing um four days on three days off okay so it was rough at first um I tried to continue working but daycare is insane and so I only worked for maybe two months and then I just I couldn't do it it was so crazy and I was just like this is insane we don't know people that we trust it took like seven months to get into military daycare. So yeah, it was what? it was bananas. You had to get on the waiting list as soon as you found out you were pregnant, or else you didn't get in. So yeah, it wow. was. So was, how was your pregnancy? Did you guys was like have fertility? A breeze. Really? Yeah, that's pregnancy is the easy part for me. Ooh. And so I could be pregnant forever. I'll complain a lot about my hips. <laughs> but it's, it's the easy part. Like, that's just normal. <laughs> right? um, no, I had, when I was in culinary school, went to culinary school, um, I stopped having my period for like 11 months. What? And I was just like, the heck? It just, it just disappeared one time. Never came back. Um, so I went and did a ton of blood work and did all these tests. And I was diagnosed with celiac disease. And they were like, yeah, that's why you're not having a period. So here, have take this medicine. It'll jumpstart your period, and then you'll be fine. Stay on a celiac-free, like, gluten-free diet. You'll be great. So I did that for four or five months, and it was awful. I felt worse mm-hmm. being gluten-free. Plus, I was a baking and pastry student, so yeah, I was like, I'm breathing flour. <laughs> this is not my <laughs> Um, and so that was hard. That didn't really do anything. Um, and then when I came home for Christmas, my mom was like, let's just go see a gynecologist. Let's, let's let a professional in this area take a look, see what's going on. So we get there and she's like, you're just not on a high enough dose of birth control. You need more estrogen. Oh. And I was like, that's it? That's the problem? And she's like, Yeah. What? She's like, why did why did you do all this other stuff? Like, they did an endoscopy to, like, see if 
my intestines were working fine and they were like this is gonna have cause you to have problems having children and so I was like oh cool so I won't have problems having kids and she's like well I don't know but probably not and so problem was fixed nice yeah so I was like great so we got pregnant in June he was born in February so that was super easy it was great my husband was supposed to deploy again um but luckily he injured his eardrums when he was deployed the first time so they were like sorry bro we're not sending you to Afghanistan you can't hear (laughs) yeah so bummer for him I was super stoked yeah so he never left um and then that's when he switched from being a combat engineer that plays with bombs to being military police that just guarded the gate Mm -hmm. so I was like this is much better yeah and so um so yeah so at first it was really easy um it got hard when I was still working but then it got easier once I was stopped working because then I just had the goal of okay we go home in three months like we're out of California something to look forward to yeah and so it was just packing here and there playing with the baby reaching milestones it was great um so we moved home in September and then Jake followed us in I think he got there at the beginning of November. He just had to finish out his contract and do all of that. Dot his I's yeah. and cross his T's, military stuff, which takes forever. Um, so he got home. We lived with my parents for a year, worked, saved money for a house. It was all hunky-dory. Everything was great. Um, we got pregnant with Liam in uh, February of 2014. No, 2016. And, again, super easy pregnancy. It was a breeze. We were excited. We were sad we weren't having another girl. We both had gender, like, uh, disappointment. Mm -hmm. And then we were like, meh, whatever. Declan gets a brother. This will be great. So that was all fun and games. Had preterm labor a couple times. Nothing too crazy. Um, He was born... At 37 weeks and five days, he was born super, super fast. Um, I was in labor from start to finish four hours. Whoa. And so it was crazy. Declan's was 12 hours, pushed for two and a half hours. Oh. Tore horribly. He got stuck on my pelvic bone. So that was, that was the hardest part of becoming a mom was healing from that. Yeah. Which having my mom there was the biggest blessing ever because I couldn't get out of a chair. I was just like carried an inflatable donut everywhere I went. Because <laughs> I was like, I can't sit. I can't stand. I can't lay. I can't go to the bathroom. Like, I can't do anything. So. And this is with your second? That was my first. Oh, your first. That was Declan, yeah. Mm. And so when. That's kind of traumatizing. Yeah. So I was very, very scared. And I voiced that with my doctor. And I was like, I don't want to do that again. If he gets stuck. Do a C-section. Yeah. Like, those are the options. C-section or he comes out on his own very quick. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't care. I cannot do that again. And he's like, okay, great. That's the plan. And so, at the time, I was working at Revere Health in Salem and was just a receptionist. And so, I would walk around the building. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's just, Mm -hmm. it's like a mile to walk all the way around the building. And so I would just walk around and around and around and up the stairs and down the stairs and up the stairs and down the stairs. And 
All um, the things we do. I like, walked around know. Ikea. I was, like, like, oh. I was like, I'm so tired. <laughs> I just want this baby out of me. Yep. And my mom had went on a trip to Nauvoo, and uh, she was getting home that day that I ended up going into labor. And so I was like, this is a great day to have a baby. And mm-hmm. I was like, I told my supervisor, I was like, I don't really want to go to the staff meeting tomorrow or on Wednesday, so I'm going to have a baby now. And she's like, okay. And so um, I just walked around, walked around, and I started to feel like a ton of pressure and was super uncomfortable, like to the point where I couldn't sit, I needed to move. So I called my mom and she's like, yeah, we were just taxiing to the gate. I'm like, cool, cool. I think I'm in labor. And she's like, do I need to stop? Should I come home? Do I need, like, what do I do? I'm like, go home, pack a fresh bag, and then come back. And so she's like, okay, okay, got, okay, I'll be there. I have time. I'm like, calm down. Like, (laughs) I'm not leaving work. I'm still, I'm like, I just feel off. I'm like, I'm not in labor. And she's like, okay. So that was at, like, noon. I continued working until 9 p.m., just climbing up and down the stairs. And my other coworker was like, sit down, sit down. I'm like, I got to get this baby out mm-hmm. of me. Like, it's coming. He's coming. He's ready. I'm ready. I'm over this. So I left. Uh, I was, like, 9. When I picked up my son, started having contractions. My babysitter was timing my contractions for me. And she's like, yeah, it's it's happening. So I got home at 10. My husband had just gotten home from school. And I was like, hey, I'm in labor. Just quick FYI. Yeah. Heads up. (laughs) Pack a bag. I'm going to take a shower and eat. And then we'll go to the hospital. And he's like, okay, I'm going to take a nap. I'm like, those weren't your options, but okay. Yeah. Husband. (laughs) Right? So I took a shower and I'm like, I need you to time my contractions while I'm in the shower. Because they went from like seven to ten minutes to two minutes in like three contractions. What? Yeah, it was insane. And I was like, oh, like this is a lot faster. And so, and I'm texting my mom and my aunt and I'm like, yeah, we're good. Like I'm going to eat a PB&J, haven't eaten since lunch, kind of hungry. We're good. It's fine. And then all within like 20 minutes, I was like, oh, we're, we're not fine. I'm laying on, like I was in the fetal position on the floor so I could just get up on my knees and rock back and forth. Mm. And I was just like, this is not as slow as Declan's labor was. Like this is going fast. So by now it's like 11. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're calling everybody in our ward that we know that's like, please come and sit with our child. Sorry to wake you up. <laughs> We got to go to the hospital because my mom was supposed to come and pick me and Jake up and then we were going to go to the hospital. My dad was going to stay home with our son. That didn't happen. Hmm. I called them and I was like, hey, we need to go meet us at the hospital. So they we left. We get there. My parents get there like 10 minutes later. And I'm telling my nurse, like, I really, really got to go to the bathroom. Like he's sitting right on my bladder. I really got to pee. And she's like. Do not have this baby on the toilet. I'm like, oh my gosh. Got it. I won't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, trust me, I really want an epidural. <laughs> yeah. And um, so she's like, okay, she's like, holler. If you feel anything or if you cannot get up, you holler. I'm like, all right, fine. So I go to the bathroom, get up, get back in bed. And 
when they checked me, I was at seven centimeters. Went to the bathroom, got back in bed. They hooked me up to the monitors. The anesthesiologist came in. My dad was there. My mom was there. My aunt was there to take pictures. And then my husband was there. And they sat me up and they did my epidural. They started at 1245. Um, at 1255, I laid down. My water broke. My nurse checked me because I was like, oh, I'm like, either I just peed again or my water broke. And she's like, oh, let me check you. And she's like, don't move. And I was like, what? She's like, I can see your baby's head. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, sorry, what? She's like, your baby's crowning. Don't move. I'm like, okay. And at this point, I'm still laying on my side. Epidural's flowing. It's working. It's great. Oh, that's, that's the important thing. And I'm like, here. okay, we're going. I'm, I'm not moving. <laughs> I can't feel a thing. Yeah. We're great. And so then she's like, oh, wait. Where's Dr. Nance? The doctor's not here. I don't want to deliver your baby. And I'm like, well, I don't want you to deliver my baby either. <laughs> I'm like, where is he? So he comes in. She's like yelling in the hallway. He runs down the hall from the elevator, like gowns, gloves, everything. And he's like, push. Your baby's heart rate just dropped from 160 to 60. Ooh. And I was like, they just said don't move. And he's like, push. Get your baby out. And I was like, okay. So he pushed twice and he was born. Holy cow. And they're like, okay, great. And so I'm in shock because we've been at the hospital for like 42 minutes, roughly. And my baby was just born. And I'm like... How big is he? And he's like, what? And I'm like, how big is he? Because Declan was nine pounds, eight ounces. What? And he, Liam was two weeks earlier than Declan was. So I'm like, how big is he? Like, did I have another full grown child? And he's like, I don't know. He's not breathing correctly. Oh my God. And I was like, what does that matter? I was like, how big is he? And he's like, it, we'll measure him later. He's yeah. like, there. he's fine. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, so can I, I want to do skin to skin. And he's like, he's not breathing correctly. We need to take him to NICU. And like, I, they put him on my stomach. They didn't even put him up on my chest. They put him on my stomach. My husband cut the cord and the nurse took him away. Hmm. And I was in shock. I did not, I could not comprehend yeah. That he was in distress. Like and what so, was going through your mind yeah, right then? All 42 of those seconds from the time he walked in to the time like he was out, cord was cut, and they took him away. I was like, what? I just want to do skin to skin. Yeah. And I just want to know how big he is. And he was like, well, we have to take him to NICU. They'll weigh him over there. So I was like, okay. So can I have a sandwich? Yeah. I'm like, I'm really, really hungry. Yeah. And so he's like, yes. Like, we need to, you need some food. Let this sink in. Yeah. And, um, and so they brought him over to me. Let me see him. Let me give him a kiss. And then they were like, hey, we're taking him to the NICU. And I was like, well, can Jake go? And they're like, and he was already gone. He was out of the room with them. Like, and they were like, yeah, he's, he's already with the nurses, like, going and getting his band put on. And I was like, oh, okay. So then we sat there and chit-chatted with my mom and my dad was just like, holy crap, I just watched my child be, or my grandchild be born. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, oh, sorry. Did you want to leave? You didn't really have a chance. And he's like, what? 
you are insane right now. Like, I'm pretty sure they all thought I went crazy because mm. I was just in total shock. I was like, I don't, he's okay. He's in the NICU. We're in a stage one trauma center. We're fine. Was not worried at all. So it didn't even like. I had nothing. Function to you. Nothing clicked that he was, he couldn't breathe. So I was just like, well, okay, whatever. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, give me my turkey sandwich. Yeah. yeah. So, um, my epidural finally wore off. They moved me, um, and by when they moved me to my recovery room, that's when I kind of started to realize, like, oh yeah, I should have a baby with me. Like this isn't, this isn't normal. Mm-hmm. Like I should be, being wheeled down the hall with the basket next to me. This isn't normal. And so, we got into the recovery room, and. All tried to get some sleep, couldn't really sleep. And my husband just stayed in the NICU the whole time. He kept sending me pictures. Um, he ended up having sticky lungs. So he just had to be on CPAP for like six hours. And then they had to inject um, surfactant into his lungs because his body wasn't producing it, mm. um, which is typically the issue that babies born at 37 weeks have is because their lungs aren't fully developed developed enough to produce the fluid in their lungs, Mm -hmm. which is how I understood it. Um, And so he just kept sending me pictures, and then they kicked him out because they had to do the x-rays, and that's how they had to inject the fluid. And they're like, you cannot be in here. And he's like, I don't want to leave him. And he's like, we don't let parents watch this. Because oh. it is not pleasant. And he's like, okay. And and he doesn't, he can't even handle vaccines. Like, <laughs> he has to leave the room for vaccines. So I'm like, you wanted to sit in there while they injected fluid into his lungs? I was like, oh. you're the crazy person now. Like, you took the crazy pill. Yeah. And so, um, so by, he was born at 1 a.m. By 8 a.m., we finally got to go. My epidural had worn off, so I could fully stand on my own. And that's when they finally let me go into the nursery, or into the NICU. And how long was that after you It was you seven been... hours. Oh. And I didn't even know what he looked like. All I had seen was a picture of his little squished face. And he was born sunny side up, so they were like, his face is going to be kind of swollen, he might be bruised. Plus, he's had a CPAP strapped to his face, so he might look kind of squishy and swollen. I was like... Okay, well, he was also just born. Yeah. So that's normal. So, sure. <laughs> like, I'm not basing his looks off of his day one. <laughs> so, so I got to go to NICU, got to hold him, got to feed him. Um, finally got to see what he looked like. And I was just like, oh, like, he's so perfect and precious. And, like, I can't believe that I just didn't comprehend what was going on. Like, mm-hmm. that was so strange to me like I still couldn't comprehend that I couldldn't comprehend it yeah yeah it was very weird and so um after that we went to the nursery did all of his newborn checks finally were able to give him a bath um brought him back to our room and then um he had to be on IV antibiotics for 36 hours from the time he was born just to make sure it wasn't an infection that was causing his lungs to not work And so we had to stay an extra day at the hospital just 
so he could be on the antibiotics. And um, we had the pediatrician come in to do a circumcision. And he came in and he's like, hey, like, this is the procedure. These are the things that could go wrong. It never does. We just have to tell you. Great. And so he takes him to the nursery to do his procedure. And he was gone for like an hour. And I was like, what is taking so long? Like, this is a 10-minute procedure. Yeah. So he finally, I finally told my husband, I was like, go find out what is taking so long. Like, this is crazy. So he goes in and he comes back and he's like, the doctor's going to come back in and talk to us. Nobody wants to hear that. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, he's one and a half days old. And we already already have another thing. Yeah. I was like, okay. So the doctor comes in and he's all, so he has hypospadias, which means his urethra didn't form all the way. So instead of going to the tip of his penis, it like went out the bottom. Whoa. Yeah, so it was really weird. So instead of, like, when a boy pees and it's just a straight stream in the air, it was like a broken fountain, and it just kind of, like, bubbled out. Whoa. It was very strange, yeah. And so he's like, so we had to just stop the circumcision. He's fine. Um, I'll refer you to a specialist at primaries. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, it's very simple. We wait until they're six months old unless it's causing, like, UTIs. And I was like, okay. So I was like, great. Mm-hmm. Not that big of an issue. I'm scooting that old. Uh, and so we left the hospital. Everything was great. Um, we had five blissful weeks of newborn baby. Our three-year-old was over the moon. And you felt okay? Like yeah, I felt, felt I felt great. And good. I recovered great and... Um, he ended up being six pounds, 14 ounces. So he was much smaller than Declan yeah. was. So he just like fell right out. <laughs> it was a breeze. Um, so yeah, so recovery was great. I felt really great. And then when he was about five weeks old, he just started throwing up all of his formula. He wasn't keeping anything down. And I was like, well, that's kind of a lot of formula to be throwing up. Like it wasn't just spit up. And it didn't even smell like spit up. It smelled like straight formula. And so I was like, this is strange. So at his six-week appointment, I brought it up to the doctor. And he was like, "Um, it could be reflux, could be um, pyloric stenosis. Mm. And I'm like, what? And he's like, it just means that his stomach isn't, like the valve from his stomach to his intestines isn't working. And I was like, okay, so what do you do? And he's like, well, if it's that, it's the problem. We just go in with a laser and open up the valve. And I was like, okay. So we went to the hospital, did an ultrasound, came back negative. So I was like, okay, well, now what do we do? So he's like, well, let's try some acid reflux medication. Maybe it is acid reflux. And so we tried that. Didn't make a difference. When he was uh, seven weeks old, he was hospitalized for the first time. For what? For weight loss and dehydration. So it was like failure to thrive. Yeah. And so he lost a full pound of weight, but he only weighed like eight pounds. Mm. So he wasn't growing. He wasn't eating. Well, he was eating, but he wasn't keeping it down. And so... We went to the hospital. He was there for two days. They got his body weight back up. 
And where are you at mentally at this point? At like, this point, I was just like, oh, man, like, another thing. Yeah. Like, you like had such story. a rough three-day start. Yeah. And now we're doing this again. And so I was, I was bummed for him because I hated seeing him in the hospital. Because he was just so helpless and tiny, and he was still the size of a newborn. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help him. Like, I just want him to eat. And keep it in his belly. That's all I want. Yeah. I just want him to grow. Seems so simple. Right? (laughs) I don't have a problem with it. Just you keep it in there. (laughs) So so we did that for a while. It never got better. Never really got worse. And then it would get worse. And he would get hospitalized again. Um, He ended up being hospitalized, I think, twice. Just for weight loss and dehydration. Because he was losing so much of his body weight so fast that he just couldn't do anything. And so, um, and then in all this time, he also was, had to have a helmet because his head was severely misshapen. He had torticollis, so his head was to the side. And so he was being admitted to the hospital. He was being fitted for a helmet. He was being seen by we were trying to get him in to see a gastroenterologist at primaries um plus I was working full-time and I had a three-year-old and a baby my husband was working full-time going to school full-time and so I was just like oh I'm drowning at this point in everything I have to do everything I have to be everywhere for everybody and luckily we had um a really, really good friend of mine who was able to babysit for us. And so she was like, I'm not scared. I have kids. One of her kids is severely autistic. So she's like, I can handle this. I got you. And so she stepped up, helped so, so much. Like, I I don't know what would have happened without her. Um, don't you just... <clears throat> my, my son had that, so he threw up all the time. And... I always felt bad with it's, anybody that babysat him because yeah. I'm like, you are going to go through an entire wardrobe mm-hmm. in 20 minutes. Yeah. So I'm when like, you found, like when I, I know when I found someone that was okay with it, it yeah. was just like, they're saints. Yeah. And like, it was, yeah. it was amazing. And so she watched him for a couple months and then we found our current babysitter who has been amazing mm-hmm. and a total, total blessing. And, um... So at this point, I started I started to feel angry. And how old is he at this point? Um, he was, so I think this was before he had his surgery. So he was probably like four or five months old. Okay. Probably five months old. Um, I just started to feel just angry and depleted and so mad that he had to go through all of this stuff. He was five months old and he had just one thing after another was just thrown at him. And I was, it wasn't fair. Mm-mm. And it made me so angry. And we had, we went to um, his surgery for his hypospadias. And I was a nervous wreck. Because I'm like, my baby is being taken away, put under general anesthesia. Like this surgery could affect him being able to have children in the future if it's not done correctly. Like, Something so simple 
could cause so many issues later in life. Mm -hmm. And he's only six months old. Like, that shouldn't be something that's determined right now. So, surgery went great. And I felt relieved that we were able to cross something off the list. Yeah. And something was done. Something was taken care of. And then his helmet was better and his head was round again and we were able to get out of the helmet and he started sleeping through the night and I was like okay we might we might get through this we'll be okay do they sleep in the helmets yes okay so they're in the helmets they start and it's like two hours for one day and then they're off a day and two hours for a day so they work up to it okay but by the time they're by week two they're in it for 23 hours a day And it was summer, and so he was, like, sweaty, and it smelled so bad. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It was the worst smell ever, but it's foam on the inside. And so all we could clean it with was vinegar. And so I'm like, great, it smells like sweaty feet and vinegar. Yeah. I'm like, this is horrible. So, yeah, so it was was gnarly. We were glad when he was finally out of the helmet. (laughs) (laughs) And so... That's, I'm like, great, we have, that's crossed off, the helmet's crossed off, the surgery's crossed off, we're doing great, everything's great. Is he still throwing up? It had slowed down a little bit, um, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, we switched pediatricians because we, at six months old, he went in for his well child check, and he wasn't growing his curve was not there. And so they sent us to get lab work. And they that's when I found out that he had failure to thrive. Hmm. And so I was just like, what the heck? I'm like, why did I have to find out from the lab tech and not the doctor mm-hmm. that we were just with Yeah, 20 minutes ago? So I was really mad about that so we switched pediatricians and I was just like I need someone that I can trust so we went back to the first doctor that had told us it could be the pylorp stenosis because he was the only doctor that told us it's not reflux like this is not normal reflux Mm -hmm. and um so we went to our GI up at primaries and he agreed with us he's like this is not he's like reflux does not hinder their weight growth their development their everything was being hindered and he was like a three-month-old in a six-month-old body and he couldn't sit up he couldn't eat he couldn't like he couldn't do anything and so we ended up doing occupational therapy um for five months and that was huge what did they do there he so they would come to our house um every other week and they would just work with him. Like we just sat on the floor and played with toys and um, taught him how to basically use his stomach muscles to sit up, how to hold a bottle. They had to teach him how to do all the things that babies learn on their own. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't do any of them. He wasn't hitting any milestones at all. Um, so at 11 months, he graduated from that, which was amazing. They were amazing. And forever grateful for them um and then he did they did a uh endoscopy to see if they could find anything in 
his GI tract that was causing him to throw up, if it was an allergy, if it was some deformity inside, anything. Um, and he couldn't find anything. And so... That's so frustrating. Yeah. And even our GI was just like, I don't... Like, I don't understand why this is happening. Because there's nothing there. His, his GI tract looks perfect. And he even took biopsies of every part of his GI tract. And... It's almost like... And I kind of felt yeah. the same with my son. I was just like, I would almost rather be told it is something. Exactly. And that's what I was telling know. people. I was like, a, an answer has a plan. Yeah. And I'm like, but I'm There's so defeated mm-hmm. just walking out of another doctor's visit with nothing. With just, I don't know. Let's yeah. try this. Let's try this. And the week before they did his endoscopy, he was in the hospital. We went to Utah Valley ER because he was dehydrated again. And they were like, well, what do you want us to do for him? I was like, give him some fluids for one. Like, see if you can figure out what's going on. Yeah. Anything. Just anything would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was, that was like a Saturday. We were home on Sunday. Um, Monday, I was back at the ER, but I went to primaries. And I was just like, he's throwing up so much that he's throwing up. It was like bright green. And I was like, this is not normal. Like, this is not a color that should be coming out of a person. Mm-mm. And the GI that was on call up there was just like, you're overfeeding him. And I'm like, how am I overfeeding him when he doesn't keep anything inside of him? Yeah. And he's like, you're, here's a prescription for this. His stomach isn't working. And so this will make his stomach contract. And then he left. He didn't examine him. He didn't look at him. He didn't touch him. He was in the room for 30 seconds. I was like, this is the problem. Here's this. Goodbye. At primary children. At primaries, yeah. And so I was like, our GI told us to come up here because of the color of his vomit. And he was like, if he determines that something is wrong, I will do his endoscopy today. And he's like, I will move things in my schedule to make sure that this gets done. And so I felt like the only person in our corner was our GI. Mm-hmm. And I was so mad. I was like, this is primary children's. Like, yeah. What are you doing working here if you can't be bothered to actually help your patients? Yeah. Like Especially go a little baby elsewhere to thrive. Yeah. Hi. And I'm like, okay, so I left angry. And that's I just I felt angry for a year. Straight. Just anger. Complete anger at people not caring. And so many people were like, it's just reflux. It's just reflux. I hated that. Everybody would tell and me that. And I'm like, that. it's not reflux. No. And guess what? Mama knows best. <laughs> and guess what? It was not reflux. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't know what it was, but it wasn't <laughs> reflux. Oh. And so I called our GI, Dr. Pohl, and I was like, this was a joke. And he's like, can you be back up here tomorrow? He's like, I know it's a long drive. And I'm really sorry. He's like, but I'm having our radiologist is going to do a fluoroscopy for him. And he's like, he's going to help us get to the bottom of this. And I was like, okay. So we went home 
And then that night, he started projectile vomiting. He had basically a panic attack because he couldn't breathe, because he couldn't stop throwing up. And at this point, my husband, who was very like, oh, we don't need to go to the doctor. He's fine. Was like, get in the car. We're going back to primaries. And so we get back up to the hospital. The doctor that was on call was like, oh, yeah, this other GI was great. And I was like, really? Because this is what he did to us five hours ago. And now we're back. And she was outraged. And I'm like, finally, mm-hmm. someone realizes what a joke that was and how horrible this is. And he was so dehydrated, they had to use like the infrared vein finder because they couldn't find his veins. He was so dehydrated and so tiny. Poor guy. And so I was just like, why? Like, why is this so hard to just hydrate my child? While we try and figure out what's going on. Yeah. Let's at least make him comfortable. They do it for everybody else. Why can't we do it for this helpless child? So they did the scope. They did all that. Everything came back. And it was all normal. And I was just like, oh, more defeat. But after the scope, he started to get better. And so I was like, oh, weird. Okay. He started to eat normal food. He stopped throwing up so much. And how old is he at this he point? He was nine months old when he had the scope done. Okay. It was probably 11 months when he started actually eating food. Hmm. And like in my Facebook memories, the videos will just pop up of him eating in his high chair. And I just, I'm like, look at him eat. The simplest thing, look at him doing it. Mm-hmm. And look at him being so happy to eat. And he's thriving. And I told my husband, I was like, I didn't realize how bad his failure to thrive was until I saw him thriving. Mm -hmm. So he got better. But then once I wasn't so focused on him, I realized that I had just kept declining. And I just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I was still angry because we didn't have any answers. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to put my emotions into words. Like, I didn't know how to explain what I was feeling to my husband. Because he would ask me, he's like, are you, like, you're quiet, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just tired. And I'm like, but I don't know how to explain to you that when I'm tired, it's not that I need a nap or I need more sleep, it's that I'm physically and emotionally and mentally exhausted. Mm -hmm. And I cannot think about anything else. And I'm thinking about everything and nothing at once. And... How am I going to fix this? And how am I going to do all this stuff? And is Declan being taken care of enough? Is he getting enough attention? And so then I also felt guilty because we weren't giving our three, four-year-old the attention that he deserved because we were so worried about his brother. Mm -hmm. So then I was just like, great, now I'm angry and now I'm guilty. And on top of that, I'm guilty because I have to go to work. And I'm guilty because I'm yelling. And I'm guilty because... McDonald's sounds great for dinner, and I'd rather not cook anything for the 12th night in a row. Mm -hmm. But here's some chicken nuggets. Like, have at it. As long as you're eating, I don't care. And so it took a lot for me to tell my husband, like, I think I need to go talk to my doctor. Like, this isn't right. This is not normal Mm -hmm. to be this angry still in this blah like, I don't, 
I have so many emotions that I don't know how to get them out that I just feel nothing. And so he was like, okay. And that's not what I was expecting. So I was like, oh. You must be really bad if you're okay. on board with it. Yeah. Is that so what I was, you mean? Yeah. Like, so yeah. I was like, oh. Oh, man. Okay. So I called my doctor and, well, actually I worked with him still. It was, I was still at the clinic. So I just went in and I was like, hey, like I need to talk to you. Like I'm, I'm in a dark space. And he's like, great. Come in a room right now. And he saw me immediately and I told him what I was feeling and where I was at. And he's like, okay. He's like, well, let's get you out of the hole. He's like, let me help you. And he had been helping, like, bounce ideas off with all of the stuff going on with Liam. So he had basically been watching me steadily decline as he was going up. And so he was like, great. Like, finally, you're in this room for you, mm-hmm. not for somebody else. Yes. And. That's a big step. That was. <laughs> that was the hardest thing when I was like, oh, yeah. I also have to take care of myself. Yeah. Like, I can't I can't do and be everything if I'm not taking care of myself. Yeah. Because I still have to do and be everything that my family needs. But I can't do it the right way if I can't get off the couch. And so, so I did that. I started medication it got better, and then it got worse again. But I recognized it. And so I was like, okay, I'm like, my medication's not working. Time to go to the doctor. And so I went to the doctor, and I was like, I'm not going to wait for this to get really, really bad again. Before I'm like, oh, it's not working. And so I went back to the doctor. We switched things up, and it was working great. And Liam was progressing. He was thriving. Um... We were potty training Declan, and we were like, cool. I think we need to have an, like, it's time to have another baby. And my husband was like, you have lost it. He's like, we're not having another baby. And how old was Liam at this point? Um, he was not quite one. Okay. And I was like, nope. Like, we have to have another baby. And I told him in the hospital, Liam was, like, 12 hours old. And I was like, we're not done. Like, there's another baby waiting for us. And he's like, you've lost it. He's like, you're holding your newborn baby and you want another one? I hear that more than you think, And I'm like, I don't know. And I'm like, I just have this overwhelming feeling that there's another baby waiting for us. And he's like, "Mm, I don't know. So then once he was like, okay, let's do that. I'm like, great. We need to start trying in October. And he's like, what? And I'm like. I don't know. It just came to me. Like, you said okay and was there. October's when we need to start trying. And he's like, yeah, you're crazy. Like, you have gone off the deep end. You've lost your mind. No. And I'm like, okay. I'm going to keep bugging you about it. And so then, like, the last week of September, he's like, yeah, October sounds good. I'm like, great. I have three days of pills left. I'm going to stop taking them now. And he's like, Oh, Ooh. I was like, I told you October was the time. <laughs> so, I've been counting down the pills. Yeah, and so he's like, okay. And I got a positive pregnancy test on November 1st. What? Yeah, and so I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, this baby was supposed to be here. Yeah. 
And so... Way to follow your heart. Yeah, it was... I didn't really have a choice. It was like screaming in my ear. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, okay, I get it. Yeah. (laughs) And so, um, got pregnant. Everything was great. Um, But then I started having like really bad lower stomach pain. And so I was like, what the heck? So I went to my doctor and I was like, this isn't normal. Like this isn't just like implantation pain. Like something's not right. And so we did an ultrasound, couldn't see anything. And my HCG levels were really low. And he's like, I think you might be miscarrying. And I was like, like, no, I'm like, this baby is supposed to be here. Like the timeline and everything. And I had such strong feelings that this baby was supposed to be here. And he's like, we can just wait and see what happens. Or you can take some medicine to kind of force your body to pass the baby. And I was like, no. I was like, I cannot. With everything that we've went through and all the promptings that I've had, I can't do that. I'm like, I have to let my body just do it on its own. And if it comes to it, we'll do it later. I'm like, but right now, I'm like, I'm only like six weeks. And I'm like, it's too early to see on ultrasound. So I'm like, nope, we're not doing it. And so we waited uh, two more weeks to Did do an ultrasound. Did you still have the pain for those mm-hmm. weeks? Oh. Yeah. So I was just nervous wreck. It was, it was crazy. And so I had my best friend who worked with me at the clinic. When it was time to do my ultrasound, I was like, I need you to come with me. Like, I need you to be in the room with me just in case. Because I'm going to need someone to be there to lock the door while I break down and cry. Mm-hmm. And so she came with me and they did the ultrasound and up on the screen was a little flickering bean. And I was like, holy crap. What? I was like, I knew it. I knew it. Wow. I knew I wasn't miscarrying. Like, this is crazy. But like my HCG levels were still really low. And they were like, this is so weird because there's a baby. But your blood work is saying you're going to miscarry. Because it was, they're like, your blood work should be in the teens of thousands. And it was like in the low hundreds. What? And so they were like, I don't know what's going on. And so we went on to have a normal healthy pregnancy. Everything was great. Um, until I was 29 weeks. And I was laying on my couch and I was just like, all of a sudden started having contractions two minutes apart. And I was like, what the heck is happening? So I tried like rolling around, tried drinking a bunch of water. And the whole time my husband's sitting on the couch next to me, watching a movie, our kids are running around, playing, doing their thing. And I'm like dying on the couch. And I'm like, what is happening? And then I just started crying and he was like, what is wrong? And I was like, I'm having contractions every two minutes. And he's like, get in the car. And so he loaded all the kids. We got in the car. We went and dropped him off at some people in our ward's house and went to the hospital. But then they weren't showing up on the monitor. And so they were like, are you sure you're having contractions? I'm like, I've had two other kids. Like, I know. You know. I know what contractions feel like. Once you feel that, you know. You, there's no (laughs) doubt. (laughs) And so they gave me some medication and a shot of morphine. And they're like, hey, go home. Pelvic rest, super light rest, like, or lightweight activity, take it easy. I was like, okay, fine. So we went home, and then my husband was working out of town, and this was at, like, 34 weeks, I think. 
and I woke up from a dead sleep with the worst pain underneath my rib cage. And I was just like, what the heck is, this is new. This is not normal. So I called my mom who lives an hour away and I was like, something's wrong. I don't know what to do. And she's like, okay, do you need me to come take you to the hospital? And I was like, yes. It's like Jake's invernal working. I need someone to come sit with the kids. So her and my grandma load up at the car at midnight and come up to my house. And so we go to the hospital. They can't figure anything out. I'm not dilating. I'm not contracting. Um, and so they were like, okay, well, let's take her down to the ER because labor and delivery was hopping. And they're like, we don't have room for you to kind of just hang out. We got to deliver babies. So I'm like, fine, whatever. Thank you. <laughs> and so went down to the ER and um, they drew some labs and they're like, well, you have an infection. So just go home. And if you come back, if you get any like a fever or any of these other symptoms, call your doctor. And my mom's like, are you not going to give her some antibiotics or something? And he's like, well, we don't know if it's viral or bacterial. So there's no point in giving her antibiotics until she's symptomatic. And she's like, she's 34 weeks clutching to a vomit bag and cannot move. Like, what more symptomatic do you want? And the doctor was like, yeah, just call us. So I was like, what? I wish you guys could see my <laughs> face right now. <laughs> like what in the world so we got in the car and went home they discharged us and off we went and so I was just like what in the world is happening and so my mom and grandma took the boys and because they also gave me a shot of morphine yeah and they were I was like I can't work tomorrow like I had my mom text my boss because I was like I'm high yeah like I can't see my hands and the screen at the same time (laughs) so I need you to text her and just let her know what's going on and my grandma watched the boys for me and she was like just come and get them whenever like you're feel safe enough to drive and I was like okay great so I started to feel better slept off my morphine I was like okay like I'm feeling good weird pain is gone so we went down to Mount Pleasant where my parents live Got the kids, hung out at my parents' house. And then the next morning, we just woke up and drove back up here and I went to work. And the pains came back. And so I went up to see one of the doctors and I was like, hey, like, can you just like do a UA maybe? Like, yeah, maybe it's a kidney something. infection. Because it was like in my back and in it was like my lower back and then it would go up to my shoulder blades and then across my rib cage. And so I was like, maybe it's a kidney infection or something or like something like that. The baby's sitting weird. And so they did that. They did blood work. And then I called him back and I was like, do you think it might be a stomach infection? I'm like, my acid reflux is like gnarly. And he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I'll send in the lab right now. Go take a test. And so I had to do, I had to wait an hour, blow in a bag, wait another hour, drink this weird sugary juice and then blow in the bag again and that somehow tested for a stomach infection so I was like all right whatever like this is the longest test of my life (laughs) like and I've done the glucose tests and so 
It came back positive for H. pylori, and which is just a gnarly stomach infection. And they were like, hey, here's an extra antacid and uh, two antibiotics. And I was like, great. So basically I'm dying. It felt like I was dying. Mm-hmm. And that's everyone I worked with was like, go home. Mm-hmm. So I had to call my dad and I'm like, please come and get the kids. Like, I'm about to take all the medication and just go to sleep. Like, please come and take them. So he got the kids. I passed out. My Relief Society, uh, like, visiting teacher brought me cookies. And she's like, I hope you feel better. I'm like, well, I'm eating cookies for dinner. Uh, So (laughs) what more do I need? (laughs) And so, um, so yeah. But then again, I was like, I'm so mad. Like, it was such an easy... Like, I know there are other tests they could do. Mm -hmm. And once they got my blood work back, they could see that my white blood count was elevated. And I had other, like, they could tell it was H. pylori Mm -hmm. from my lab work, too. And so they were like, why? Why did they not do anything? I was like, I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) Like, because I'm having some anger PTSD from when Liam was in the hospital. Seriously, I'm like, this is so annoying. Yeah. And so I was just like, oh, so frustrating. So the rest of my pregnancy went by, and then um, he was delivered at the exact same gestation that Liam was. So I was like, oh, that's fun. Um, and he was a full three pounds smaller than Declan, so he was six pounds nine ounces. Hmm. And I'm like, yes, they just keep getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> And my doctor had told me, he's like, when you start feeling anything, you get your butt to the hospital. Yeah. He's like, because you're not delivering your baby on the side of the road. No. And I'm like, okay. So when I got to labor and delivery, they were like, well, how far away are part of your contractions? I'm like, I'm not technically contracting. I'm like, but Dr. Nance said to get here. Yeah. And they're like, okay. (laughs) I'm like, he's delivered like 12,000 babies. I'm like, I think he knows what he's doing. Yeah. (laughs) So they're like, fine. So they admitted me. So it was all smooth? And or? it was great. They, um, I wasn't dilating, but my contractions picked up. As soon as we got to the hospital, they definitely picked up. And they were super fast. And um, my nurse sat there and held all of my monitors on me while I bounced on a yoga ball to try and get myself to dilate. Mm-hmm. And they kept, like, the hours kept ticking by. And they're like, okay, like, we're supposed to send you home after an hour of no progression. And Dr. Nance was like, mm, keep her for one more. Just one more. And then he's like, mm, we're breaking your water. <laughs> and I was nice. like, hallelujah. Thank you. And I was only at like a three. Mm. And he's like, I'm not sending you home. He's like, because I know as soon as you walk out of this hospital, you will dilate to a full 10 and you'll have your baby in the parking lot. I'm like, thank you. Mm. <laughs> thank you for remembering how fast my second baby came <laughs> yeah. and not making me do that. <laughs> So everything was great. All was well. We got to cut the cord. We got to have skin to skin. Mm. I still got to eat my mediocre turkey sandwich at 3 o'clock in the morning. Why not? It was great. And so I was just like, wow, like this is what this is supposed to feel like. Mm-hmm. And it was great. Everything was perfect. The hospital stay was perfect. We got home. I called my doctor immediately. And I was like, hey, baby's born. Time to get back on my medication. Good for you. Like, I'm not going to wait for this to get bad because I already already know that it 
is going. Like, I know where my headspace is. And so they're like, great, okay. So we started with that. But then it was, we started with the same dosage and everything. But then it was too much. Mm. And so then I was just in a fog every time I take my medicine. Like a zombie. Yeah. yeah. And my husband was like, what is wrong? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I'm taking my medicine, but I still feel, like, angry and sad and just numb. Like, I don't, I don't know. And um, he was like, go back to the doctor. Like, something's not right. Your dosage is off. Something's wrong. And so I went back and I told him, I was like, I don't, I'm like, my antidepressant is fine. Like, that's great. It's when I take my anxiety medication that I've just, I'm fine for like 10 minutes and then I'm just completely blank. And there's nothing there. There's no emotion. There's no feeling. There's no energy. Like, I can't even pretend Mm -hmm. because there's just nothing there. And they were like, okay, well, we'll just cut your dose in half and then just take it as needed. And so I was like, oh, well, that was easy. I'm like, why did I wait so long? Like, why did I suffer so long with such a with weird funk mm-hmm. when it was such an easy fix of just a dosage tweak? And so that worked. It was great. And then it, I just have peaks and valleys. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where for some unknown reason, I just stopped taking my medication don't do that. I know. We that's, all do it, though. That's, that's like the craziest thing. the worst thing. thing you can do. I know. And it's like, oh, I feel great. I can stop taking it. And it's like, no, brain. You're that's, like, that's why that's you feel great. Why, that's not how this works. <laughs> like, keep taking uh-huh. it. And so then I just had the withdrawals and the headaches. And, like, my brain was moving more than my body was. Like, I could feel... It felt like I could feel my brain sloshing around in my skull. And I'm mm. like, this is not normal. I should not be able to feel this. Mm-mm. And so I was just like, oh, I'm like, well, okay. But then it went away. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm fine. It's not fine. Mm-mm. The anger was back. The, I don't want to say resentment because I didn't resent anybody except the people who were okay. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, totally. And I was like, yeah. I'm like, why, how come you can go to the park and have fun with your kids? And I'm like, yeah, let's go to the park. And then I get there and I'm just like, well, my anxiety is like going crazy. And where are the kids? And we're going to get sunburned and I don't want to be here anymore. And everyone's watching me and they can see all these things going through my head. And I'm just like, I can't be here. And then my kids are sad because I'm like, we have to go. And then I'm like, let's go get a cookie. And I'm like, I'll bribe you to leave. And then they're still just sad because they played at the park for three minutes before I had a mental breakdown. And I'm like, I can't, I can't figure out what's wrong. Like, why am I like this again? And so at one point, um, my we had a dog that was pregnant and... Um, she got into something and my husband like freaked out and yelled at her and kicked her out into the backyard. And I freaked out and I was like, don't, I like, it looked like he actually kicked her. Mm. And so I was like, don't kick her. She's pregnant. And he's like, I didn't kick the dog. And then we just got in like this big screaming match about the dog that never got hurt or anything. Like yeah. he just put her outside. And so I was like, oh, 
I can't even control it. And I could like, one side of me was like, ah, but the other side of me was like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, calm down. So what, are, what did you do? I stormed off because he was, he was yelling because I was yelling. And so I was, I just stormed off and locked ourselves myself in our bedroom. And he was like, what is wrong? And I just broke down. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. Mm. And I was like, I'm so angry. And I'm like, I realize that I'm being irrational. And I realize that I'm being overly emotional. And the wrong emotion is playing. And I'm having the wrong reaction. But I can't stop it. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm physically telling myself, knock it off. You're being crazy right now. Like, why are you freaking out? But I can't. I can't stop it. And so... so, Did you go back to the And so he's like, you need to figure something out. And so at that point, I was like, well, do I need to, like, go check myself into the hospital and get this figured out? Like, what, what do I do? Do I need to start seeing a therapist? Do I need... I was like, I obviously need to get back on my medication. And so for the rest of the night, I just like laid in bed and just looked up all the therapists in Utah County. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, like this one deals with um, couples. This one deals with maternal health. This one does both. This one is this. This mm-hmm. one is this. This one is trauma. And I'm like, well, I don't really have a trauma. So I can cross those ones off and... But then I was like, oh, but I kind of do have a trauma because, like, every time say, I walk what? into a hospital now, I'm like, okay, like, either someone's going to believe me or they're going to throw acid reflux in my face and I'll just add them to the list of doctors that we saw. And so I was like, oh, wait, no, I do have all of these. And so um, I never ended up going to therapy. I still think about it all the time. But I'm like, I don't know when I would have time to go to therapy <laughs> so because I'm still doing all the things for everybody and it like a daycare at therapy right that would be it would make the price of therapy much pay, more yeah. worth it I know like, I'll <laughs> like, pay an extra 15 bucks I'm like because I can't pay a daycare and for therapy at the <laughs> yeah. same time and so but I did go back to the doctor I got back on my medication um we got the dose figured out and then things started to balance back out and I apologized to my husband and I communicated with him. That was one of the big things that I wasn't, I wasn't telling him when I was struggling and I wasn't telling him how I was struggling. And so now it's more like, okay, like I need a timeout. Like I need to calm down. I know I'm being irrational. Mm -hmm. I know I need to just go, be angry in a room by myself, work mm-hmm. work through the emotion, and then I'll be okay. And it still makes him mad because sometimes he's just like, like, what are you doing? Like, you're making me so angry right now because you're <laughs> angry because, like, there's dust in the car or something so simple that doesn't matter. And I'm just like, why am I so mad? And my five-year-old is a trigger for me and... We're so much alike. Mm-hmm. And so we just butt heads constantly. And he is sassy and stubborn. 
and he is just like me. <laughs> I got the same. I'm like, all the things I don't oh, like man. about you are me. Exactly, exactly. And oh. so we just, we get in like screaming matches and he's like, dude, he's five, oh. calm down. And I'm like, I know. The rational side of my brain is like, dude, you're yeah. arguing with a five-year-old over like a TV show. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Calm down. And so it's just, yeah, it's it's been a long road of figuring out what I was feeling and then f- trying to communicate that the best I could. Mm-hmm. And then ignoring the feelings and refusing to feel any of it because then I was just angry. When it seems easier. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, because if I feel it, then I'm just mad. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be mad because then I'm mad at everybody and I'm short with my kids and I'm mean and I don't want to be the mean mom. It's exhausting to fight it, the anger. Exactly. And then you just get tired and angry. Yeah. And trying not to be angry. And then I'm also like hangry and mm. it's just, it's a bad bad cycle and so it's gotten to the point where I've learned to recognize what I'm feeling and know like okay I can work through this with people around and okay like I need 10 minutes to myself yeah I need to just be yeah I need to be allowed to be angry to be sad to whatever emotion I'm working through at the moment Mm -hmm. without being questioned or watched mm-hmm. like I just need to be behind a closed door maybe cry for a minute pick myself up and then I'm fine mm-hmm. but it took a long time to get to that point and then to be able to tell my husband like this is what I need because I felt yeah. guilty because I should be able to I take care of everybody else I fix everybody else why can't I fix myself and so it took a long time for me to realize that help is okay like, you need, you can't do it alone. No. And how old is your youngest right now? He's 18 months. Okay. So here's my question, and this, and we're kind of getting into this, so this is the perfect timing, but, so, like, on your darkest day of being a mom, whatever day that is, on that day, if you could go back right now, knowing what you know now, if you could go back and look her in the eye and tell her something, what would it be? To ask for help. To recognize that... It's okay to not have the answer for everything. It's okay to be angry at not having the answer. It's okay to have those emotions, but you need to be able to put the emotions in the proper place and work through them Mm -hmm. and not let them consume you entirely. Because for a year, I did. I just let anger consume me. And it was really, really hard to get out of that dark, angry hole. Mm -hmm. And not be mad at the 20 doctors that we saw in a year's time. And only two of them believed us. And so it was it was really hard. And I wish I would have listened to my family that was like, we'll figure it out. It'll be okay. We'll, we'll, he will be okay. We'll be okay. You'll be okay. But it was, I was so consumed with my anger that I wish I could just shake myself and be like, Listen to the people that are holding you up. Mm-hmm. You're not doing this alone. It felt like it, and most days it still feels like I'm doing it alone, but then my husband will send me a text, and he'll be like, 
thank you. Like, you're doing great. Mm -hmm. Like, you're doing really, really great. And so definitely would be ask for help, recognize the people that are there waiting for you to ask for help, and thank the Lord for friends that just come in and don't wait for you to ask and are just like, I'm doing this for you. Yes. Because. Seriously. It's it's a good thing I have those friends because I I don't know what I would have done without them. Mm-hmm. And they were both placed in my life when I started working at the clinic. And they've become two of my best friends that have helped me through the last three and a half years of crazy darkness and I don't tell them enough thank you. Mm-hmm. I don't tell my husband enough thank you. I don't tell my kids enough like thank you for loving me even when I'm crazy monster and going off about nothing. <laughs> like, thanks for still giving me a hug good night at night when, <laughs> when like, I just went ex- like when, exorcist on you. <laughs> yeah, like I just Godzilla through the living room. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for still loving me. <laughs> so so yeah, that would be Yeah, that's I would definitely shake myself a few times, be like, snap out of it. Yeah, wake like, up. Look what you have. Don't focus on what the problem is. Like, look what's around you. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. That's really good. That's really good advice. Um, is there anything else that you want any all the moms to know out there? Moms or dads, whoever's listening, whoever um, you are. It's it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that are not okay. Like, majority of people are not okay. The fact that this podcast is booked out (laughs) for the rest of the year is, we're not okay. No. And if if people say that they're okay, they're fighting something. Yeah. Everybody's fighting something. Mm -hmm. And you have to, you have to look past the filters. You have to look past all the happy Instagram posts. Mm -hmm. No one wants to post the sad things. I mean, it's called our... Like your happy rail for a reason, like. But we gotta heal. Yeah. You gotta t- eventually turn around and look at the ugly, mm-hmm. and look at the trauma, and look at the experience that you went through. Exactly. That you're not getting past because you gotta heal that part. Exactly. Or this will continue to happen. I mean, it's. Exactly, you know? and that's that's one thing that I've tried to be more open and more forthcoming on my social media platforms because mm-hmm. I'm just like I. I'm guilty of posting only the perfect pictures. I'm like, I don't post the 42 other pictures of my kids running around. And Mm -hmm. I only post the good stuff or when we do something fun as a family. And, Mm -hmm. but I've gotten to the point where I'm like, if I'm having a bad day too, it's easier for me to get out of my deep, dark days. If I post, if I share with someone, anyone, Mm -hmm. even if it's my Instagram friends, like, just so somebody knows, like, hey, I'm not okay right now. Yeah. And, but I'm still here, still trucking along. I might be doing it crying in the corner. Or screaming. But <laughs> dinner dinner still will be served yeah. one way. It might be a full meal. It might be cereal. But even on the dark days, like, you can you You're can still, still do it. Yeah. You're, You're still, still strong. Yeah. yeah. You're still here. And that's one of my favorite quotes is, you've survived 100% of your hard days. I love that quote. Because it's so true. Yeah. And it's it's so true. And it mm-hmm. depression and anxiety and 
they all come in so many different shapes and forms. You can't fit it all in one box. Mm-mm. And I don't think people realize what they're feeling could be under one of those categories. Mm-hmm. But then I also think it scares people mm-hmm. to be labeled like, oh, I have depression or, oh, I have anxiety. It's like, well, if you go to a store and crowds of people make you anxious, congratulations, you're, you're with the rest Welcome of the, the world. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody likes yeah. crowds at the grocery store. Oh, I don't like crowds <laughs> so, anymore. Well, so yeah, yeah. It's, mm. it's been a journey, that's for sure. Yeah. I can't imagine. I am so grateful that you shared all that because my son did the throw up thing forever mm-hmm. too. And I had no one to talk to. Yeah. It was, it's a lonely it so journey. Hard. Yeah. Especially when you go to all the doctors. So thank you for sharing those details and yeah. sharing your emotions. Moms don't talk about anger like we should. Mm-mm. It's hard to admit that we lose it sometimes. Yeah. It's, lots of times. It's one of those things so. that you, you feel judged for if you're yeah. like, I'm angry at my kids yeah. because they're, Sitting on the couch. they won't put their shoes on. Like, uh, why? Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's nice that it's been, the stigma is ending. Yeah. It's nice that people are putting their foot down. Yep. And. Speaking up. Like you. Yeah. It's. You don't know me. I mean, you're just showing up at my house to share your story. Right. You're freaking awesome. You're so it's, brave. It's been easier for me to share it than to keep it bottled up. Yeah. And so. But it took sharing it for the first time to realize that. Yeah. The first time was very scary. Mm. And I was like, oh, man, what are people going to say? But then floods of comments saying, I'm proud of you. Like, mm-hmm. keep going. Like, keep doing what you're doing. You yeah. are great. You're a good mom. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wow. Like, okay. I'm okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm good for one more day. So. That's awesome. It helps. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was, it was good to get it all out. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your therapy right there. Exactly. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. If you feel like you can relate and would be open to share your story with us, please email us at risingphoenixpodcast at gmail.com. For more information on local and national resources for pregnancy and postpartum health, visit www.postpartum.net or www.psiutah.org. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and others. Thanks for listening.